We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Welcome everybody, it's David Sensfidelli. I'm coming at you once again with Brother Andre Marie, the St. Benedict Center in New Hampshire, if I'm correct. Uh, brother, thank you for coming back on. Welcome. Where, uh, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you too, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So if anybody's wondering how come his mouth's not moving, uh, his, he's had, we're having internet uh, connection difficulties, so we got a still frame of him and we're using the phone call right now. So you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Uh, That's right. Yes, it's it's 2021 and we make do. <laughs> exactly. So what I wanted to bring them on was uh, they have a tremendous philosophy course I wanted to promote to maybe get people to participate in. So, brother, what is philosophy and why is it necessary to even study it? Well, I think most people know or would have heard at some point in their in their life that philosophy is the love of wisdom. It comes from two Greek words, um, Sophia meaning wisdom and <clears throat> the verb uh, meaning to love attached to it. So it's the love of wisdom. And um, that's sort of the etymological definition of it. But if we uh go to a more technical definition we find that it's the study of first principles and ultimate causes of all knowable reality so in as much as it touches upon all knowable reality philosophy has something to tell us about literally everything so that that shows you that its scope is is entirely universal so that's that's what it is and I, I guess the next question is, why should we study it? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, why is it important? Well, why, um, why, like, I know in seminaries they start out with philosophy before they even get into theology. So why, why that? Well, <clears throat> actually, um, my, my teacher, Brother Francis, and he's the one who um, gave the courses that you, you mentioned uh, at the beginning there, um, he, gave, he gave us these lectures on on philosophy on the different courses of philosophy that were recorded um but he actually gave uh when he was introducing them um six reasons why we should study philosophy he said he, he said let's just get this question out of the way why philosophy and he distilled it to six reasons and i took those each of those six reasons he did and kind of gave little executive summaries of them because he explains them a, a little bit more depth but uh, the first reason is because man naturally asks and wants to answer uh, the ultimate questions. And ultimate questions is what philosophy asks and answers. So, so the, first, the first reason is because it's natural to man to want to know these things. Uh, you know, little ch you know, if you want to know what are the kind of questions that philosophers ask, well, listen to a little child asking, you know, <laughs> 
questions about the, the existential realities of life, <laughs> and you get the beginnings of philosophy. Um, so the, the second reason that brother gave is that it's the art of thinking well, and because it's the art of thinking well, and because all civilized arts and sciences that give us anything like a, a real culture um, uh, have something to do with thought, right? So everything that we do as man has something to do with thought. Every civilized thing, right? every truly human endeavor we undertake requires thought. And science, or philosophy being the science of good thought, the, the science of thinking well and the arts of thinking well, well then every human endeavor therefore sh will benefit from the study of philosophy. Uh, the third reason he gives is that by the study of philosophy, we enter into communion with all of the greatest minds of antiquity. So it's, it's not just the, the, the first ones that come to mind, like a St. Thomas Aquinas or a St. Bonaventure, um, but of course Aristotle and Plato, and, and, uh, but St. Ambrose also and St. Augustine. Uh, the, the, the Latin fathers of the church, the Eastern fathers of the church, the Greeks, um, they all had some knowledge of philosophy. Um, the ones who were most apprehensive of, of philosophy, like Tertullian, became heretics. Um, so there's some sort of, there's this need uh, for us to be in communion with the greatest minds of history. And we do that when we undertake a serious study of philosophy. Uh, so that's the third reason. The fourth reason Brother Francis gave is, and this touches on the, 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 the more refined uh, point you put on your question, when you said, why is it studied in, in, in seminaries? The fourth reason Brother gave is because it's the handmaid of theology. We call it in Latin uh, the Ancilla Theologiae. Uh, so handmaid or, or, you know, so Our Lady says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Well, that's what philosophy is to theology. And uh, theology is superior to philosophy because theology studies as its subject matter supernatural revelation. But without that handmaid, uh, which properly coordinates and unites faith and reason, then the truths of revelation are, are at risk of becoming irrational. And I'm not saying that revelation is irrational, but I'm saying that our understanding of revelation without the sound thinking that we get from philosophy can become irrational. And you end up getting these, these utterances of somebody like Tertullian, who I mentioned earlier, who rhetorically asked the question, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? Athens, of course, being the symbol of, of, of Greek philosophical wisdom, and Jerusalem, of course, being the symbol of, you know, Old Testament and New Testament divine revelation. Mm -hmm. And he basically th thought they had nothing to do with each other, which perhaps is why he very irrationally became a Montanist uh, heretic and left the church. Um, St. Thomas, by the way, doesn't consider Tertullian a father of the church. You sometimes hear him spoken of as a father. St. Thomas would only refer to him as the heretic Tertullian. <laughs> um, so we, we don't, you know, uh, and nowadays especially we can go into all sorts of theological excesses. We can become, for, for, for pious people um, who don't want to get in, into, you know, the reason, the discipline that philosophy requires, the danger is that religion becomes sort of either arbitrary or, or overly sentimental. 
Um, but if it doesn't have that rational basis, if it's not firmly rooted to reason and, and joined, I should say, to reason, then the, the, there are a whole host of dangers from sentimentalism to, to um, anti-intellectualism, which you do occasionally run into in, 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 in some circles, um, to, you know, religion is just all about love, 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 and, and they don't appreciate the fact that, yeah, love is something you do with your will, and your will is the appetite of the intellect, and if the intellect doesn't first have truth in it, you can't love what's really good. So philosophy helps us to keep those excesses uh, from, from happening. So again, as the as the handmaid of theology, it's absolutely imperative. We can't deal without it. Um, and then the fifth reason Brother gives is that it, it spares the mind from the narrowing effects of of scientism. So the scientific method from the Enlightenment on in the history of of the development of of um, intellectual culture in the West, from the Enlightenment on, the the empirical sciences gradually came to be the the top of the heap you know it used to be for for in the ages of faith right for for medieval man for instance um theology was considered the queen of all of the sciences it was at the top mm -hmm. and all of the other sciences were, were beneath it somehow in a hierarchy well after the enlightenment or during the enlightenment theology somehow gets dethroned in a lot of the universities and even among Catholic believers, while they, they, they wouldn't have rejected the truths of Revelation, they still got tainted with the spirit of the age. And uh, so too today, we're dealing with people who think that uh, the empirical sciences are at the top of the food chain when it comes to all knowledge and wisdom. And we're, we're discovering, much to our chagrin, that, that the modern world is made a much worse place because of this. So not only do we intellectually get the extremely narrowing effects of everything is dictated by the scientific method, but now we have, of course, Dr. Fauci and so forth, and this, this, this totalitarian reign of the anointed priesthood of guys in white lab coats, right? No. So when you dethrone theology and then you de and then you de theology is at the top, but philosophy is right underneath it as your handmaid. And when you dethrone them, then you end up with this sort of tyranny of empiricism and scientism. And um, the last reason that Brother Francis gave, and I think this is um, something that you'd be particularly interested in, uh, Steve, given your um, evangelical. Uh, bent uh, that is apostolic, <laughs> designed to c convert people. Um, Brother says, "Look, you know, we don't have a common revelation with everybody that we're going to, to to interact with." Yeah, I mean, Protestants, of course, claim to believe in the Old Testament and the New Testament, so we have that in common with them that we can at least argue from those texts that they consider sacred. But you're not going to do that with Jews, at least not with the New Testament, and chances are not with the Old Testament either, because most of them don't believe in it. Um, you're not going to do it, certainly not going to do it with Muslims who think that the Jews uh, corrupted the, the, the Torah and that the Christians corrupted the gospel. That's explicitly in the Quran. So we have sort of warring sacred texts when we deal with the Muslims. But the Muslims are human, and therefore they have the capacity for human reason, and therefore there can be a, a dialogue with them, and I mean dialogue not in the modern ecumenical mm -hmm. 
you know, liberal, indifferentist sense, but dialogue in like the Platonic or Augustinian sense, where you can actually get together with somebody and talk about truth, right? And 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 go back and forth and genuinely have a meeting of the minds, uh, or an attempted meeting yeah. of the minds. And for, and and Muslims, being human, can yeah, they can they can discuss things based upon human reason. That doesn't mean that they're going to be rational. I mean, many Christians are irrational. Uh, but uh, there is, what I'm saying, a sapiential tradition in all civilizations or all cultures that deserve those names of civilization and culture. There's a sapiential tradition, a, a tradition of wisdom. And in many instances, or I should say in most instances, that sapiential tradition is corrupted by error especially when we have false revelations that enter in, you know, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or, or, Confu or, or no, not Confucianism, it's more of a philosophy, but, um, or, you know, Islam especially is, of course, the biggest. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the one that built a wall around Eastern, you know, between Eastern and Western Christendom and severed much of the, the East from evangelical activity for so long. Um, he severed a lot of so, other things too. <laughs> they do have the capacity of reason, and we can reach them with reason. So, there are evangelical reasons for knowing sound philosophy. Yeah, the Muslims—they severed a lot of other things too. Not getting into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, m m Muslims can convert, and they do convert, and oftentimes, I mean, there, yeah, there are lots of There are lots of things that uh, Brother Francis actually who came from. He was an Arab, and he came from Lebanon. He knew a lot of Muslims. He had he had theories about the conversion of the Muslims that it would take you know it, it three he had the three M's: Mary, martyrdom, and uh, miracles. Ultimately, that's what it's going to take. And it's no accident that Fatima is named after the daughter of you know Fatima is named after a Muslim princess who converted and became a Christian under the name Irene. So. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, there's there's a, there are more supernatural things that we need to convert the Muslims, but that doesn't rule out the fact that we can still speak to them using the language of natural wisdom and argue from that to the truths of revelation. Speak of that, you brought up Brother Francis a couple times. He's the he's the professor for the course. Uh, give a little bit more of his background and uh, uh, yeah, just a little bit more of who Brother Francis was. Okay, so sort of a, a quick thumbnail. He was he was Lebanese. He came from a little village called Mashra, which is about thirty miles outside of uh, Beirut in in this hilly country. Um, grew up in a in a um, very a family of modest means. We'd probably argue say that they're poor today. Um, and um, he was his father was a, was a cultured man who was well educated, even though they they were of modest means and they were farmers basically they had a vineyard um but but he he ran a little school in the house so brother francis was homeschooled but not homeschooled the way we normally mean it because he actually ran a school for the poor kids from the neighborhood and uh brother francis as soon as he had learned enough started teaching some of the other kids so even as a even as a boy he was teaching younger children um he ends up uh, unfortunately because his <laughs> Because his father became a Freemason as a young man, uh, uh, and basically because he did that, he was unfaithful to his baptism as a Melkite Rite Catholic, um, he kind of lost 
the, he broke the chain that went all the way back to the tribe of Gassan, which was a, a, an Arab Christian tribe. One of the one of them fell famously fell in battle fighting. I think it was Muhammad II in a, in a, in a uh, you know sword and scimitar fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but these were these were the um, Christians who were fiercely loyal to the faith when everybody else was turning Muslim. And um, so, uh, but it goes all the way up to you know uh, Boutrous Mahlouf, who was Brother Francis's father who ended up kind of losing it and becoming a Freemason under the influence of American Presbyterians who went over and founded the American University of Beirut huh. in Lebanon. Um, it was initially called the Syrian Protestant College. Later it was dubbed the American University of Beirut after borders changed and, and mm-hmm. ideologies changed among American Presbyterians. Um, and. Uh, Brother Francis ends up g- g- going to the American University, or the AUB, as he as he said. He had been baptized as an infant, but he didn't know it because the midwife did it because mm. she thought he was dying. Mm. Um, but he wasn't brought up as a Christian. He wasn't brought up as a Catholic, even though he came from a Melkite family. Uh, he he goes to the AUB, graduates having studied mostly math and physics. And then immediately upon graduation, because he was so bright, they had him as an instructor at the university. So he taught there for five years. And then because of some troubles in Lebanon and, and the fact that he was politically active and there were some problems where you know, Zionists were picking off certain notable Arab thinkers, uh, he, uh, one of his best friends was assassinated by the Zionists. He decided that he was going to, um, well, actually, his friends decided that he needed to get out of Lebanon. And the officials of AUB, American University of Beirut, uh, arranged for him to have a, a sort of a study abroad thing where there was an exchange program between the United States and Lebanon. And he ended up studying philosophy at the University of Ann Arbor, uh, University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. Hmm. But before he left, Lebanon. He had made. Um, he had connected with a, a, a philosopher and statesman who taught at the AUB. A gentleman who's who's. You can look him up. You can Google him or whatever. His name is Charles Malik, M A L I K. I think is the way it's normally transliterated. He was a um, he was a philosopher who had studied Saint Thomas, even though he was Greek Orthodox, and. Because of the association that brother had with uh, uh, Professor Charles Malik, who was older than he, he he was older than he, but brother was an instructor. While this guy, who already had a you know doctorate, is also teaching at the same university, the two of them had this sort of close friendship that they got, and and of of, you know mentor and disciple kind of. So, Dr. Malik introduced Brother Francis, who was brought up as a materialist. Um, by the way, his name was Fakhri Malouf when he was a young when he was young before he became Brother Francis. He was Fakhri Malouf, um, and um, young Fakhri learned a lot about the spiritual realities, belief in angels, and and philosophical concepts from from uh, Dr. Malik. He comes over to the AUB, gets a master's, and then graduates with a doctorate in 1942 from from um, the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. And um, starts, uh, and then because the war's broken out and he's here on a student visa, he can't go back home uh, because, you know, he 
get blown up in a ship probably mm-hmm. um and he can't uh and he and he can't stay in the united states on a work visa on a student visa so they had him go up to canada <laughs> and then enter the country where they gave him another student visa to do postdoctoral studies at harvard and while he was there that's when he that now he had converted to catholicism while he was at ann arbor um, because of some very providential events that had happened. And he started reading the lives of the saints and became very edified hmm. and decided that he was going to become a Catholic. He's brought into the church in Ann Arbor. But then in 42, he ends up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and um, studying um, a very eclectic course of study in postdoctoral studies at, at Harvard. And then he ends up meeting Father Feeney, and then he ends up meeting the peop- other people at St. Benedict's Center and gets um, acquainted with more, um, you know, deeper Catholic thinking, um, especially in, in philosophy and letters. And, um, you know, at one point, Father Feeney approached him and he said, well, well Fakhri, what do you think um, of our American uh, educational system, you know, uh, American higher studies? And Brother Francis said, well, I mean, again, Fakhri says to him, um, well, Father, I, I, I think it's impressive in so many ways, but it, they have no value for wisdom. There's not a serious value for actual wisdom. It's just this sort of compartmentalized, very segmented knowledge that has no connection in the higher things. Hmm. And Father Feeney agreed with him, and he said, well, I want you to teach philosophy here. So... Hmm. So, um, uh, brother ended up teaching philosophy at two Jesuit-run universities um, or colleges, uh, Holy Cross College in Worcester, and then Boston um, Boston College, of course, in Boston. Mm-hmm. And then the whole, um, you know, the famous uh, Falafini affair occurred, and he was one of the professors that got canned when he, you know, basically ratted out the uh, the, the Jesuit hierarchy at. Um, Boston College for being indifferentist, which they most absolutely explicitly were. Um, by the way, whether or not you agree with Father Feeney, um, if you looked at what the, the Jesuits who were attacking Father Feeney in those days were saying, they were clearly indifferentists. Um, so, but that that aside, Brother Francis's competency was really in the, in the field of philosophy. So he taught philosophy at, at different levels and in, in, in different venues and came to um, cultivate a, uh, a method of his own for, for teaching it, especially the, the approach that he took to structuring the courses and the chronology in which they were taught. He insisted that people study logic first, then cosmology, so that they could be rooted to reality and they have the tools necessary to even enter into this kind of discourse before they get into the more abstract knowledge of, of uh, metaphysics or ontology, which he puts at the very end. So that's just, that's Brother Francis in a nutshell. And he, and he was a very gifted teacher and anybody who was ever in his classroom or listened to his lectures but by a fairly common testimony, he had a gift for teaching and, and uh, making things, you know, give, giving a student a real relish for the subject. It's not dry and academic. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I've listened to this quite a few, not just the philosophy courses, but other ones, and he's very engaging. You're not going to fall asleep. You don't need you don't need coffee or an energy drink to stay up for his courses. <laughs> yeah, 
No, no, you don't. No, there's a there's a there's an inner compulsion to want to keep listening to them because it is so very contemplative. I, I think that's one of the things that that makes his um, approach to philosophy so satisfying because he doesn't bury you in in a heap of technical words from 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 this philosophical lexicon and and have you memorize all the stuff and, and parse it out. He he whets your appetite by giving you a kind of contemplative gaze at the subject matter and showing you why it's important. And then you want to learn the lexicon so that you can speak of it more intelligently. So about that, I have the uh, complete philosophy set up on the website from Catholicism.org right now. Are you able to go through, Not you don't have to go through every like lesson, but the topics that he presents... Can you give a little background of uh, yeah, what is logic, what is cosmology, what is the psychology, ethics, etc.? Yeah, well, okay, so so just, yeah, thumbnails of each one, sort mm -hmm. of, huh? Right. Um, yeah, so he starts with logic, or what we call minor logic, which is the science and art of correct reasoning, and that studies the three acts of the mind. Um so we, we, we begin with simple apprehension, we go to forming judgments, and then we conclude with, um, with reason, which is summarized best in, in, in the syllogism, which is kind of the, the uh, most highly ordered kind of deductive reasoning that we've got, the syllogism, you know. Um, you know uh, all, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal, right? So that's a, that's a syllogism. Um, th this gives you the necessary tools to reason and to reason well. As Brother says about logic, he says, well, people will tell me, well, why should I study logic if it's the art and science of, of, of correct reasoning? Well, I've been, I've been thinking since I'm a kid. I mean, I, I should be able to reason, you know. And Brother Friend says, well, you've learned how to think, but that doesn't mean you learned how to think well. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the point of logic. Um, or you know, minor logic, because epistemology, which comes later, is also called major logic. Um, and brother insisted on cosmology being number two. Oh, let me! I, I got uh, a because, clip of the I got a clip of the YouTube video from Logic. I'll play just for someone that can have a little teaser of what it is. Okay, great. The Saint Augustine Institute of Catholic Studies, Brother Francis. We are starting a course on wisdom, and when it's question of wisdom, nobody but a fool could claim to be a teacher. <laughs> Among the Greeks, those who call themselves wise are the sophists. The true seek the true uh, disciples, the genuine philosophers, call themselves lovers or seekers after wisdom, and that's what we are trying to be tonight. And there's only one teacher, and that is God. As a matter of fact, wisdom is the second person of the Trinity the eternal wisdom. That is uh, how he appeared to the great Russian philosopher Vladimir Solovyev and brought him to profess the Catholic faith. 
I won't play the whole four minute video, but uh, yeah, go. That's how he. That's how he sounds. If you're if you're wondering, hey, I wonder how this teacher even sounds like. But uh, it, yeah, it, yeah. So you've got a little bit of a Lebanese accent there, which I think most people can get over that. <laughs> uh, he's got a lot of humor throughout the videos or throughout the uh, clips. Yeah, he had a he had a he had a delightful personality, and that comes out in the, in the lectures. Uh, so so yeah, uh, logic just gets you. Logic sets us up so that we can think in an orderly and disciplined way, and that way we can move forward and study the other the other disciplines that are that are part of uh, philosophy. So the, the next one is cosmology, and the, the cosmos coming from the Greek word. But by the way, the Greek, the Greek word cosmos implies ordered thing. So the, the Greeks, you know, the Latin word for world means beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, a clean thing. Uh, but the, um, the, the word that the Greeks found for the universe um, is cosmos, meaning an ordered thing. So they, that tells you right away that they saw an order in the universe. And cosmology is a study of that order of the universe principally by looking at, and Brother Francis will tell you that cosmology is the study of the ens mobile, which is Latin for a being in change or a moving being. And that might seem like something so incredibly esoteric, but it's not. Cosmology is one of the least esoteric of, of these disciplines because it deals with the here and now. It deals with things that are concrete right before us. And um, it teaches us, for, okay, to, to illustrate one of the key things that cosmology focuses in on, we can talk about some of the early uh, Greek philosophers who were kind of banging around in the dark trying to articulate uh, things about f ultimate realities. And these are Heraclitus and Parmenides. And um, Heraclitus said, Pantarai, all things... All things are change. Everything's change. He explained everything as change. He said you can't you can't jump into the same river twice because the river uh, is has changed and you have changed. Uh, so for him, everything was simply dynamism and change. And then there was the a fellow from an opposing school called um, Parmenides who said all change is an illusion. So here here we have two pre-Socratic philosophers who thought in terms of what we call monisms, where you reduce all reality to one thing, and that's a typical philosophical blunder. Mm -hmm. And these two guys had a problem understanding the problem of change, what we now call the problem of change. And uh, Heraclitus said everything's changed. Parmenides says nothing has changed. Um, all change is an illusion. So both of those things are irrational, but even though these guys were bumping around in the dark, their very bumping around helped later philosophers to come up with better answers to these things. So that when you get a rational explanation of what change is, by articulating such principles as act and potency, um, then you can then you get real philosophy. Huh? So. Uh, and if you don't understand the definition, the difference between act and potency, and if you don't appreciate that distinction, you're kind of doomed to at least intellectual mediocrity. Uh, I would I would argue you're probably doomed to a sort of a blasted, you know, irrationality. 
but the, so this is this is one of the subject matters of cosmology. And if you guys are looking at the site, you see that they're offering the first class entirely for free. So again, everything's going to be in the show notes. Just click on the cosmology link. You'll see the first class right there. Click it. Yeah. Oh, but by the way, Steve, do you mind if I do? Do you mind if I make a little commercial deal here? Yeah. Make a little announcement. Yeah, sure. So um, for for your listeners, we arranged to give a, a discount to anybody that's that's hearing this through you. Uh, and if and if you uh, use the coupon code Cunningham, <laughs> uh, <laughs> original, huh? Use the coupon code Cunningham, and uh, and you at checkout, and you get a forty percent discount. So it's a, it's a fairly deep discount. Hey, I and guys, I didn't know, did not ask him to do that. That's awesome, brother. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it was my it was my idea. I figured, yeah, let's let's make it because because this is potentially introducing this to a new audience and. Uh, We'd like to make it, uh, we'd like to sweeten the deal, so to speak. That is that is surely sweet right there. No, that's cool. I hope people take advantage of that one. And and you guys aren't driving around in uh, Porsches and things like this over this. This is help funding you guys, right? No, 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 no. We, we, no, no, no. We got, we got, uh, we, we got bank Hondas that we're driving around in. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the next one? No, this. This keeps the this keeps the, the, these purchases help keep the wolves at bay for us. I understand, I understand. All right, so what's the next one? So after cosmology, we get um, psychology, which is not to be confused with Freudianism or Rogerianism or any of these crazy isms that pass that are really ideologies that claim to be psychology today. Um, psychology is the study of the soul, the psuche, where, where the very word psychology comes from. And it's the, the study of life and of the potencies and activities of life, particularly as they exist in the highest uh, um, form of life in material creation, namely man. So we study the, uh, the acts and the potencies, the powers and the passions of the human person and um, it's particularly illuminating for people especially when they want to learn you know to live a virtuous life to pray and so forth to understand something of what their nat natural capacities are and you know if, if you don't know the kind of psychology that brother francis teaches which is not original it's based upon perennial wisdom um, if you don't know that kind of psychology, you can't appreciate the kinds of things that St. Thomas talks about when he gets to the virtues and to the vices and to the passions. And um, Because this is the very natural underpinning that allows us to speak in terms of, you know, what is it that grace elevates? You know, we, we, most of us have heard the term that grace um, elevates nature. Um, so if you don't have... You know, we have our human nature that we're born with, and then grace doesn't destroy that and, and, and supplant it with something else. Grace elevates it. Mm -hmm. It brings it higher. But it does so by, in a way that's fitted to that nature, right? So the truths of faith come into our intellect, which is a natural, a, a natural faculty that we have. Um, and the love of God enters into our will, which again is a natural faculty that we have. 
So if, if you don't have some inkling, some appreciation of what those natural faculties are and what our passions are, uh, then you're really not going to understand what it is that, that what, what it is that grace came to elevate or comes to elevate. So, um, so that's why that's one of the reasons that psychology has a practical importance for us Catholics. Um, and after psychology, we come to ethics, which I think most people would recognize the word. You know, it's yeah. the study of morals, it's the study of right right behavior, right and wrong, and um, of course. All of the big philosophers of note had something to say about ethics, um, and uh, in the in the Greek world, it was a, it was a major preoccupation, and especially among the Latin uh, philosophers who were the, the, <coughs> the Stoics, they were more into ethics than any other subject of philosophy. I think um, so. That's a that, that's an important study because without without a fundamental grasp of philosophical ethics you can't really study morals you can't you, you can't get a full appreciation of of virtue and vice and uh, you know sin and good works um, brother makes the point during the ethics course that our concept of ethics is what he calls eudaimonistic which comes from Greek word meaning happy soul happy spirit um, and we, we seek to do the good so that we might be happy, um, which, you know, some people, some Catholics are surprised. They, they might think, well, I think that ethics are based upon duties, that we, we you know, we, we need to follow duties. We have a duty-driven ethic. Well, the only problem with that is that duty-driven ethics have you know, given us some of the most hideous totalitarian systems in the in the uh, 20th century, and yeah. probably they're still acting in the world elsewhere, um, not in so much in Europe, but we might see it more. Um, but um, the, the kind of deontological ethical system that uh, the Greeks talked about uh, is what lay behind communism and Nazism. Um, so our, our ethics is based upon what will make us truly happy. And it just happens to coincide with God's will for us because we pursue the true good when we pursue what makes us happy. Um, so um, beyond ethics, now see, after ethics, Brother Francis takes a break from the purely philosophical considerations uh, per se, and he gets into the history of philosophy. And the fact that he does that only after ethics shows you something of Brother Francis's approach, which is, uh, so many, in so many colleges and universities, the approach to philosophy is simply to do a survey of the history of it. Mm -hmm. So you dabble in what the pre-Socratics said, then you come across Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, then you shoot ahead to Descartes or something, you know, leapfrogging over, yeah. usually over like the, the best stuff in the Middle Ages. Um, and what happens is nobody has any convictions. You just get this smattering of completely conflicting, contradicting ideas. And you, you, you end up with this impression that, yeah, philosophy is just a bunch of weird guys who've had ideas about stuff that ain't true. Um, instead of um, understanding that, you no, know, it's, it's something that pursues truth, and it makes sense, and it is a rational outlook on life and on all reality, and once you have wrestled with some of the fundamental issues in philosophy, then and only then can you start looking at 
the history of philosophy because you're going to encounter a lot of weird things. I already talked about Heraclitus and Parmenides, but they're not alone. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff from the, from, from the pre-Socratics and other philosophers, especially modern philosophers, mm -hmm. who were kind of in rebellion against the philosophical tradition. So, so he goes through history at that point when we already have some convictions. And then the last two are the most um, esoteric, I mean, if you will, they're the most, the most difficult, and that is epistemology, which is also called major logic, which studies the theory of knowledge, how it is that we know, and that's important because so many modern philosophies just deny the human capacity for knowledge. Um, and, and, and by the way, uh, if you, your audience may have heard of Karl Rahner and may know that he's one of the, he's one of the bad guys of yes. theology yes. in the 20th century. Well, Ra where, where did Rahner go wrong? Well, he went wrong in many places, but fundamentally, I think his biggest problem was that he followed the epistemology of Immanuel Kant, who basically denied the human capacity to know reality as it is. And because of that, Rahner ends up developing all kinds of crazy ideas, including his weird ideas about the anonymous Christian. Um, so it has, you know, these are practical problems we're dealing with now in the church because so many of our hierarchy have been uh, educated to believe uh, in the mad ravings of Karl Rahner. I remember, uh, a guy, I remember a guy at work back when I was in Denver was under that influence of, there's the, it's kind of like the Matrix, there's no spoon. There's no floor. There's no tree. Nothing really exists. Yeah. And that, these guys are getting taught that out of college today. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's why I said a lot of people say these history courses, these survey courses of philosophy, and they, they think, you know, if they have common sense, they think, well, philosophy is a bunch of nonsense because it's a bunch of weird Germans talking about crazy stuff. <laughs> weird, weird Greeks and weird Germans talking about crazy stuff that flies in the face of common sense. Whereas true philosophy, by the way, is simply exalted and eloquently stated and systematized common sense. Um, but yeah, you, you run you, what, what we run into, like probably your guy at work, he's kind of a trickle-down or a dumbed-down version of these modern, I'm not calling your, your, your co-worker dumb, I'm just saying that mo, your, your, your guy on the street kind of gets the popularized version of this stuff and you hear it all the time when you have somebody say well i've got my truth and you have your truth right yeah yeah well there's there's a history to this stuff i mean you go back to barclay who who, who and brother francis gets into this in the courses you get you go back to uh barclay um uh who taught who was a british uh philosopher who was actually a bishop in the so-called church of ireland the anglican gang um, and he, he came up with this formula, SAS Perjupy, to be is to be perceived. Well, that's still with us. Um, that gets refined a little bit later on in the existentialist, and you get somebody like Jean-Paul Sartre who says that existence uh, precedes essence, which is to say that there are no concrete fixed essences and natures, it's all a matter of existence, which implies change, and you can, you can dictate what you are. Which is basically why, you know, so he's the philosopher of somebody like Rachel Dalzell, who says, I identify as a black woman, even yeah. though she's lily white. Yeah. Um, he's the philosopher of a guy who says, well, I'm going to transition to become a woman. That is practical. That's a practical exercise in existentialism. Mm -hmm. 
So, the, the, by the way, this gets back to another reason. Why should we study philosophy at all? Well, because if you don't want to be falling for the irrational, um, you know, popular thinking yeah. that's uh, drowning our civilization, well, you know, grasp reality. And, and, and that's really what philosophy is all about. It's, it's an encounter with reality. Yeah. Beyond the the mere living of your life and, and looking at things that are just right before your face, but a much more contemplative gaze at all of reality. Isn't it the Brother Francis def defines truth as that uh, <clears throat> keeping your mind into reality? Yeah, that's right. So conforming so your mind early early in the in the logic course, he defines truth and he talks about three different kinds of truth. Not not, and that's not a contradiction. Like you know, you have your truth and I have my truth, and they're different. Um, he talks about ontological truth, logical truth, and moral truth. But what we normally mean when we talk about truth is logical truth, and he defines that as the conformity of the mind to reality. Uh, you know, it, it's our mind conforming itself to what is. And when you take that as a definition of truth, then you realize that, wait a minute, my mind is not a creative faculty. I'm not God, right? <laughs> the divine mind is a cre it creates. Well, our minds don't. I mean, we, we use the word, cre you know, like Beethoven was so creative or, or you know, uh, Goya was so creative. Well, artists, uh, to use the Tolkien word, sub-create. You know, they, they have a domain in which they're, their, their human faculties can operate and can fabricate things that are from already existing material. But to create is to do something ex nihilo from nothing. That's, what, that's, that's proper to God. And I can't take something that's already created and remake it so much that it's contrary to, the, to its original essence or nature as it came from God. That includes myself. So biologically, I'm, I'm a man, you know, I, I, every single cell in my body is chromosomally, <laughs> chromosomally stamped <laughs> in such a way that it tells anybody who's got the right equipment that this is a guy, um, a man, a male. Um, yet, you know, so I can't go around and say, well, I'm going to transition into, into womanhood. It, it's not possible. So um, a, a, a conformity of the mind to reality would tell us that that's not possible. I think a great line from um, Brother was... Uh, tell us that there are certain limits to reality. I think there's a great line from Brother was, these are a bunch of educated fools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and you see the practical ramifications of it. I mean, you know, bad philosophy is not the only cause of trouble in the world, but if you, if you look at some of, the, of these wicked oligarchs, uh, and, and I know you're a little acquainted with the oligarchs, um, and if you look at what some of these big troublemakers are doing in the realm of politics and society and globalism and all that, well, scratch a little bit beneath the surface and see what's what's leading them on. Many of these people have a philosophy that's guiding them. And in many instances, in, well, I'd say all instances, it's going to be a very aberrant and sort of perverse modern philosophy that's anti-Christian and completely outside of the Occidental, that is Western, uh, sapiential tradition, the tradition of wisdom. So we got one more left. Uh, yeah, the last ontology. one is ontology. 
which is also called metaphysics. And um, it's called ontology because it studies being, comes from the Greek word for being. And it's called metaphysics because uh, it's above physics. Physics studies the nature of things. Physics uh, is nature, the Greek word for nature. And physics is another word for the study of cosmology. But so Aristotle gave us the, the physics. He wrote a book called The Physics. But then he wrote another book called The Metaphysics because he wanted to explore what lay above physics. And that's where you study things like form and matter and substance and accident uh, and the, 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 the ten categories of Aristotle, which give us the one category of substance and the nine categories of accident. And this becomes very esoteric, and this is why uh, Brother Francis, or I should say advanced, it's not so esoteric as I real, it's just, it's much more abstract. So, the, but the practical value of it is, is this, we're used to saying, well, the Holy Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ under the accidents of bread and wine. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I, I teach religion here, and, and um, I just, in fact, we just concluded our school year a couple weeks ago, and and one of the last things that the book covered in this year I was teaching was the Eucharist. So I, I wasn't satisfied with the way the book handled this, and I, I wanted to give them a little bit more. When we talk about substance, when we talk about consubstantiation, the Church is using a sort of canonized philosophical lexicon here to explain substance. And then when we talk about accidents, well, we're not talking about car crashes or, or you know, tri tripping on the sidewalk and stubbing <laughs> your toe. It's not that kind of accident. It's, 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 it's the appearances. It's um, the, the, um, the weight of the thing, the appearance of the thing, the color, the quality, the quantity of the thing. There are these nine categories that Aristotle articulated. And, you know, again, to some this might sound too esoteric, but it allows us to understand, or to come as close as we, as we can in this life to understanding, the profound mystery of the Trinity. And it also allows us to understand Christological truths. You know, how, what does it mean when we say that Jesus Christ is, that, that the Holy Trinity is one God and three divine persons, that, they, that they're one in substance, consubstantial, uh, and then to say that Christ is one person with two natures. Well, when you take the cosmology and the ontology studies, uh, you, you find that these terms, person, nature, essence, substance, accident, these things are all carefully defined and distinguished. And therefore, you don't just have a, you know, a student rattling off some, uh, some formulaic answer in the catechism. I'm not denigrating that. That's a good thing but you want them also to have further understanding. And by the way, the definition, one of the definitions of theology is fides currens intellectum, faith seeking understanding. And if you don't have the philosophical roots, if you don't have the philosophical chops, so to speak, <laughs> you're not going to have the seeking understanding part down. You might have the faith, but you won't have the seeking understanding thing clearly. Understood, understood. Well, folks, uh, this is pretty much the best philosophy course you're ever going to see. If you have something better, send it to me. Uh, I know you, you probably have about 11, 11 lectures, 11, 15, 16. That's a lot. 
uh, I have it all in my Dropbox, so I work out, listen to it. It's in the car. You can make this happen. Again, there's another podcast I did about excuses. You can figure it out. If you really want to do it, you can listen to these and understand them and get to it, especially when brother just gave you 40% off. So, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the Thanks for the plug, Steve. I do appreciate it. And Brother Francis knew that these were being recorded, and he was recording them simply for posterity. I mean, he... He wasn't thinking, oh, we can market this and make a mint. I mean, aside from the fact that we've never made a mint, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, he thought it would be a good, useful thing for posterity. And um, a lot of people have benefited from this. We've gotten a lot of correspondences from people. People have said to us that this changed their lives. I mean, you know Mike Church, and mm-hmm. you've heard probably heard him say over and over again, truth is a conformity of the mind to reality. Well... He got that from Brother Francis, and he and he says it. He, 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 it, get, it got him excited. It got him to kind of go up to a new level of appreciating his faith and all of reality, too. Oh, right. Yeah, no, it's the same thing. I, I was wild when I, when I first listened to all these. And Again, if you're on the fence, you notice underneath each one, they have a listen to the first class, an hour long to sell you on it. And again, 40% off. I think it's four seventy nine for the whole thing. Uh, that's not too shabby when you take forty off. No, no, it's 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 a it's approachable. <laughs> yes, uh, solid lessons. We get like eighty or ninety courses out of this. Anyway, so brother, finish uh, put a bow on this. Anything else you'd like to tell the audience? Um, well, I mean, it, okay. So if you if it's intimidating, you know, the whole you know vast spectrum of the thing. Just get the first course and, li- and listen to it. And and um, if that if that doesn't whet your appetite, well, obviously you're a reprobate. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> if that doesn't re- whet your appetite, then don't pursue it. But if it does, well, then start getting the next course and the next course. Um, of course, you get the biggest you get the biggest price break if you buy the whole dang thing. But um, it's something that you can do. And as Brother Francis used to say. You know, you're not in a rush. You're mm-hmm. not in a hurry to like get this. This is not some 30 days till thinner thighs program, right? <laughs> we Americans are so pragmatic and we're so into rushing things. Yeah. We got fast food. We got fast cars. We got fast everything, fast internet, except for me. Except so for I'm you guys. Uh, but, you, um, you guys need to make a mint to get but, better internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take it. Take it slow and just. And, and the idea was, Brother Francis said, we always just persevere in these things and. Mm-hmm. If you persevere in it and and seek to do it as okay, I want to acquire a more contemplative outlook on reality. And Steve, we need people more than ever to have their eyes open to reality, to be able to receive reality as it is, and so that we can have a generation of Catholics who are, to steal a word from the crazy people, truly woke. Yes, you know, who yes. are actually awake to reality and what it is, because there's a lot of unreality being marketed to us in every possible venue yeah and when you download either mp3 or get the cds you have it for life so you can take as much time as you want to go through it brother's not going to call you having a test for a final exam uh pretty sure you can use this for homeschooling right yeah, pr- pretty sure you can use what what did you I'm say I'm pretty sure homeschoolers. homeschoolers could use this right oh uh, absolutely and we've had homeschoolers use it mm-hmm. yes so age age isn't a big. If someone say, "Oh, my kids are not saying the two year old for it," but 
if you're a homeschooling no, age from high a, to a the bright, end. A bright high school student can, can definitely benefit from this. Very good. Uh, brother, so yeah, the uh, the website's Catholicism.org. We'll have it underneath in the show notes. You see the ticker below. I got it down there. If you know what the show notes is, it's underneath the video. Click that show more section. Drop The drop box happens. There's the link. So again, 40% off if you can type my last name, Cunningham, C-U-N-N-I-N-G-H-A-M. Uh, so appreciate it, brother, on that one. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, that, that'll help people to remember, you know, who the host is. Yes, yes. <laughs> And if uh, if they had any problems, can they contact you or is there a contact section on the website? Yeah, there should, there's a contact section on the website. There is. Um, if if uh, if you have trouble finding that, uh, my email address is bam at catholicism.org. That's B-A-M, like my initials, Brother Andre Marie, at catholicism.org. Very good. Brother, appreciate your time. All right, Steve. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and, and, and graciously bring me on to talk about this. God bless you. You too. Thank you.